This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA here on this Thursday, July 7th. There is a change in the air in the markets today. We're seeing some big moves to the upside on the grain complex today. Livestock also seeing some strength. Feeder cattle, a little bit of weakness. We'll discuss the markets in detail in today's show. Garrett Toy is going to join us here in segment one to talk through the grains and what's developing there. In segment two, we're going to check in with Dr. Paul Sundberg. He's the executive director of the Swine Health information center they just released their swine disease tracking report for the month of june and african swine fevers on the move popped up in a few new places dr sunberg will give us an update on that and then in segment three christine mccracken the senior animal protein analyst at rabobank just completed a deep dive into the poultry sector we're gonna get her thoughts on how that particular part of the ag industry might fare going forward and we're gonna end the show talking cattle with our friend dennis smith of archer financial services so before we go any further, let's dig into these markets. Garrett, it seems like something has changed in the markets today. Looks like the dollar's going lower for the first time in a few days. What's developing out there? Right. Well, I mean, at least we don't have the macro selling. Is, is, uh, uh, we, someone uh, pushed the relief valve, if you will, but we just don't aren't seeing the selling pressure out here. Um, you know, we've got crude higher, which is, is definitely helping things. We've got crude up four or five dollars a barrel. Um, and uh, I think the interesting thing was we've had over the last two weeks potentially a sentiment change in the inflation trade. Um, but you definitely had some funds, hot money that wanted out of the markets. Uh, but the interesting thing was during all this flat price selling is that for the most part, all the you know spreads have firmed. We've seen it in grains, we've seen it in, in, in energies, uh, that we've had these give-me-out type trades, but uh, fundamentally these spreads have all remained fairly firm here, especially in July D's corn spread, July sep corn spread, July no bean spread. <clears throat> so, um, you know, technically we had, you know, we got oversold in here, and and perhaps you know the, the proof is going to be in the pudding here as far as how deep of a correction we get. Because once we get up to these technical selling or technical resistance levels, uh, is this macro selling going to redevelop? Um, is, is what we're basically watching for. But the key areas here, I mean, you know, we're, we we uh, filled the gap, or we, we're watching the gap, I should say, in November beans. Uh, we gapped lower on Tuesday night from the. Uh, uh, from the or Tuesday morning, I should say, at the 200-day moving average at 13.76. If we can start to fill that gap in, in November beans, uh, we definitely saw buying interest under the 13.25 level, uh, and even in these corn, 16, uh, excuse me, six, uh, 16 is the 200-day moving average. If we can get back above those levels, then then you might see a little bit more buying interest in here. But those, uh, at this point, the fact that we broke those down, the sellers are going to be sellers below it, buyers above it sort of thing. Um, and uh, I think that we you know, maybe can get uh, a little bit of a balance in here. But the macro pressures are, are gone. Um, fundamentally, you know, weather's still an issue out here. This, this, uh, a lot of areas that missed rains. Uh, we've got uh, heat across the southern Corn Belt. In my opinion, what I've been telling customers this week is, is uh, it, it's you know when you've got such problems in these outside, I hate to call them fringe areas, but but uh, if the fringe areas are having issues, it's very tough to get a record corn yield or a a, a, a great corn yield, if you, above average corn yield even, uh, when when there's so many areas that seem to be having issues at this point. That certainly makes sense. We need the whole the whole country really has to provide well to get us up to that trend line yield. Garrett, I'm looking out at the markets today and bean oil is rallying. That has seen a sell-off over the past several weeks. What's happening in the bean oil complex? Is Indonesia still a player? They are. They actually uh, they actually came in this week and are talking about uh, another two and a half million metric ton of uh, demand based off of uh, moving their biodiesel blends up to B40. But it's largely been um, you know it's been led by the palm oil lower. We actually had a bounce higher, and obviously this this correction that we've had. 
this correction we've had in crude oil, that the whole energy basket, if you will, has kind of fallen off the table here. In fact, to the point where uh, oil share yesterday basically traded down to the 2022 lows, uh, basically erased all the gains of the year. So, um, you know, this again a relief rally. I mean, I, I, nothing has changed as far as. Um, you know the biodiesel or renewable diesel mandates out here, um, and uh, other than you know general recessionary concerns, it's a fear of recession. But I don't necessarily see you know demand slowing at this point. You know it's it's a it's a fear of the unknown, if you will. But um, the reality of it is that is that we haven't really rationed anything, in my opinion, or the demand doesn't seem to be slowing. Well, you know, we have seen demand ration, it would seem, Garrett, for American wheat on the export scene. That has been a slow, tough slog for the past marketing year. With this correction we saw this week, did American wheat become a little more attractive to global importers? Oh, absolutely. That that is that has changed. You saw SIF markets pop. U.S. US suffered wheat uh, has actually been cheap, cheapest origin uh, for about four or five weeks now. And, and with that break yesterday, I do think that we're starting to see some export demand pick up in here. Uh, SIF values popped, uh, nickel, the, the dime. So I do think that uh, that, that, that worm has turned and, and that we're, we're starting to see some demand pick up in here. Garrett, look out here through the remainder of the summer. We saw Brazil raise their soybean crop production here for this past year. Do you see American beans moving back into the export stage, particularly to Asia, throughout this summer? Or do we have to wait until the crop comes out this fall? Well, actually, I mean, the, the, the South American values have really kind of fallen out of bed here the last two, three weeks. So, in, in fact, we, we saw uh, five or six cargoes of U.S. beans get either washed out or switched back to Brazil. So, um, you know, that's kind of undermining, you know, the U.S. export potential. But we actually kind of need to cancel some beans in order to get back to where the, the USDA forecast were. We were kind of overshooting that. But what's driving this market is, is more domestic <clears throat> and crushed than exports, in my opinion. I really think that uh, this longer tail of the South American crop is probably going to dig into the U.S. exports, uh, at least between now and, and early soybean new crop harvest. Do you see that same thing happening in corn, Garrett? Yes, actually, you know, Conab raised their uh, Brazilian corn production estimate this morning, not by as much as what I was expecting, uh, but again, <clears throat> a lot of the currency exchanges, the uh, Brazilian corn uh, premiums have really kind of collapsed here in the last two, three weeks, and it's kind of an evidence on U.S. export sales. The, the U.S. corn sales over the last four or five weeks have, have not been you know, very good, and, and China's largely on the sidelines, and that's, that was a driver last year. Um, but our new crop sales have kind of plateaued here for the near term, uh, and that's largely a function of that Brazilian crop coming on here, and, and their harvest is only about 10% complete. But uh, it does look like that, that they're going to probably undermine our corn export program, you know, for the, at least through September. But again, it's very similar to soybeans. The domestic market is what's driving the market. Yeah, yeah, our demand here at home has been exceptionally strong. Folks, we've been talking to Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk. Garrett, thanks for joining us here this week on AOA. Thanks, appreciate it. And folks, stick around. We'll be talking to Dr. Paul Sunberg of the Swine Health Information Center when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. We have some exciting news to share. The National Corn Growers Association, along with AOA, are kicking off an all-new program called The Monthly Grind. Tune in on Tuesday, July 12th for our big kickoff. I'll be broadcasting live from Corn Congress in Washington, D.C., and will share all of the details surrounding the monthly grind. Make sure to listen to AOA on Tuesday, July 12th. It's a show you don't want to miss. We gather together in communities across the nation to remember and honor, to celebrate and support, to light the night. Join us as we lift our lanterns high in order to move toward a world free of blood cancers. 
Join us as we light the night for a loved one. Join us. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Our mission is to cure leukemia, lymphoma, Hodgkin's disease, and myeloma. Our aim is to improve the quality of life of patients and their families. Join us. We are LLS, and when we walk, cancer runs. Join your community and help bring light to the darkness of cancer. Join us as we light the night. Find your local event at lightthenight.org. That's lightthenight.org. Would you know what to do in a poison emergency? Would you know whom to call? Well, the answer is poison help. 1-800-222-1222. Poison help is a 24-7 government hotline staffed by poison experts. It's free to call and available in over 100 languages. Every second counts in a poison emergency. Don't waste it wondering who to call. Save poison help in your phone today. 1-800-222-1222. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, thanks for joining us here for AOA on this Thursday. You know, as this world gets more and more globally connected, swine or, I guess, animal diseases as a whole can have profound impacts on their industry. And that's certainly true in the case of pork, with swine diseases causing huge economic impact each year. Well, these diseases are observed and tracked by the Swine Health Information Center in Ames, Iowa. Joining me today is their executive director, Dr. Paul Sundberg. Dr. Sundberg, thanks for joining us here on AOA today. Hi, Mike. Good morning. It's good to be with you. Before we get into the details of disease, Paul, for our listeners who are outside the swine industry, can you tell us what SHIC does? Sure. The Swine Health Information Center is charged with monitoring for emerging diseases in the U.S. pork industry. It's charged with um, doing targeted research to make sure that we're prepared, we can respond to emerging diseases, and then we also look at uh, industry data and analyze that data again with the objective of looking for something that may be emerging out there that we need to pay attention to. Absolutely. And there are always diseases, it seems, coming to the forefront in the world of animal agriculture. Paul, I understand you also work with partners to track what's developing around the world. And I understand African swine fever popped up in some new places in the month of June. Yeah, African swine fever, of course, is the one disease that everybody's watching around the world. Uh, and, and there were some important things that happened in this last month with new infections showing up in Germany. Germany's had ASF in the eastern part of the country um, along the Poland border. And um, just recently, uh, uh, an infection popped up on the west edge of, of Germany by France. And then another one, really important one, uh, by the Netherlands, over by the Netherlands, right in the middle of where there's a lot of German pork production. Um, and those two things are really concerning. Paul, when they get an outbreak like this in Germany, uh, what happens? Does that shut down the pork industry in that country? Well, what they'll do is they'll respond to it uh, in a similar manner to what we do would in the U.S. 
they'll zone it off. They I try to isolate the area. This this infection by um, the Netherlands was uh, was in a large farm about uh, 200,000 pigs. That in that area there's almost 300 farms, pig farms within a six mile radius. So they've shut that area down, not letting anything go in or out. And they'll be testing around that and trying to figure out where that virus is and where it isn't. It's kind of the same process we would use in the U.S. Um, to zone off that area. They call it zoning off and, and trying to isolate it. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Paul, I also understand that Italy saw its first case of African swine fever. Yeah, they did. It's in the area down by Rome. What happened with Italy last year, they got their first infection up in the northwest part of the country. And then it popped up down in the area around by Rome. And now that's moved from from wild pigs, from feral pigs in that area to domestic pigs. So it's I'll tell you, Mike, there's a lot of lessons to learn watching this as it, as it evolves in Europe. Yeah, it continues to spread, Paul. We do have it in the Western Hemisphere. Of course, it has uh, been found on the the, uh, island of Hispaniola. Has there been any additional developments there in that ASF uh, research? Yeah, so the latest information from the Dominican Republic has been that um, there uh, uh, continues to be new cases across the country. They're finding more and more new cases across the country. But overall, the number of positive cases has decreased. So it's not blowing like it had before, but it continues to be found in different areas. So USDA is working with the government of the Dominican Republic to help them try to manage it, putting a a diagnostic lab directly in the Dominican Republic so they can do tests very quickly. They're also working on an incident command system down there where they centralize the response and then everybody is coordinated in responses when they find new infections. It's a long road to hoe down there and we still have yet to see if it's going to be uh, successful. But there is some signs of promise, although um, there's a lot of work and this doesn't look like it's going to be resolved very quickly. No, it certainly doesn't. But Paul, so far, it seems to be effective in the sense that we haven't yet discovered it here in the U.S. So it, the containment must be working at least to some degree. Is that your assessment? Yeah, absolutely. That's correct. That has been successful. So far, that's been successful. The USDA and Customs and Border Protection have been working very hard to isolate the island of Hispaniola. That Puerto Rico is right next to there, just a few miles away um, from the island. So Puerto Rico is especially at risk. They've done their USDA and Customs and Border Protection have done their best to isolate Hispaniola, protect Puerto Rico, U.S. Virgin Islands, which is a big deal, but also the rest of the Caribbean, the rest of the Caribbean and Mexico. Um, Biosecurity includes biocontainment. And that means keeping an infection where it is so it doesn't spread. And that's right now, that's a high priority for the United States to make sure that we do everything that we can do. And we don't have control over all of that, but everything that we can do to uh, contain that virus on that island. Absolutely. Keep it away from our shores is the goal, Paul, because even in the absence of African swine fever here in this country, we do have a host of diseases that can impact the pork industry. Domestically, I know you have been tracking PERS. What's the current trend with that disease? Is it spreading? Yeah, from month to month, compared to last month and and the last couple of months, we're kind of on the downslope. It's not spreading so much as it's going into a seasonal low. Um, it's not unexpected. As the warm weather comes, the, the incidence of PERS infections usually goes down, and that's what we're seeing. But there are still regional hotspots. In Nebraska and Missouri, there are still regional hotspots. So producers in those areas need to be talking to other producers. Talk to veterinarians and talk to other producers because knowing what's in your local area is probably the most important thing to being able to keep it off of your farm. 
Absolutely. Knowledge is power, Paul. That is a fact. How about PED, PEDV? That was so much in the news here five, six, oh gosh, maybe eight years ago now. But I know the industry continues to battle with that virus. Yeah, we do. It, it's an ongoing thing. It's certainly endemic. Um, just like PERS, there's been a moderate decrease in the number of PED infections out, on the, out in the country. Um, and again, that's going into a seasonal low. But, um, but when we monitor, when we look at the regions and at the specific states, overall, there's been a decrease. But shoot, in the Midwest, in Minnesota, Iowa, and Nebraska, Kansas, Missouri, there are regional outbreaks there, hotspots, as well as in North Carolina. And so they're all having those outbreaks. And, and that's an indication that even though the infections tend to be more mild than they were in, in the breeding herds earlier this spring, um, that connection between the breeding herds and the finishing herds is very real. And people have to pay attention to that biosecurity, especially in transport or biosecurity on the finishing floors to keep that virus from continuing to circulate back and forth from finishing to breeding and breeding to finishing. Paul, with that being said, labor is, of course, a very hot topic right now. Folks are having a really hard time keeping people in positions. Does that create additional biosecurity concerns just because they, they haven't been living with these training long enough to hold up the right biosecurity protocol? Oh, there's no doubt about that. There's, that's absolutely true. Um, the, the issue with biosecurity and the issue with worker and, and manager training is absolutely uh, top of mind and very important. Um, there's a lot of information about biosecurity on the National Pork Board's website and training materials. If anybody needs any kind of training materials for new workers on either the finishing or the um, farrowing farms, go to the National Pork Board's website and look for those training materials because they're going to be very helpful. And this is an issue of, of the, the workforce and making sure that we're ready to go because all of that training is so important, certainly for PED and, and for PERS, of course, but should we get ASF or should we get some other emerging disease? It's going to be critical that people are able to implement biosecurity practices. Absolutely. The health of the entire industry relies on every single person who's coming and going from those barns. All th our thanks to Dr. Paul Sunberg, Executive Director of the Swine Health Information Center. You can read those reports at swinehealth.org. Paul, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for the chance, Mike. And folks, stick around when we return. We're going to talk poultry with Christine McCracken, the Senior Animal Protein Analyst at Rabobank. Stick around for more AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you. And we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, graded oil seed prices continuing to bounce here after they move to the upside of the overnight trade, along with the rest of the commodity and equity sector, as we see good strength across the grain board here as we work through our morning. Now, this is more of a technical move than it is fundamental. It's 
pretty much the same as a sell-off that brought prices down to current levels. It's all been about negative money flow created by worries of a global recession and the algos that sold the bearish momentum and broken charts. End users and bargain hunters, speculators, they're dipping their toes in the water here to uh, buy a little bit on the break and maybe try to help us find a bit of a bottom here in the grain trade. Now, overnight, Bloomberg reported that China's Ministry of Finance was considering a huge 1.5 trillion yuan stimulus plan to boost the sagging Chinese economy. The stimulus would reportedly allow local governments to sell bonds during the second half of this year. Their goal is to boost infrastructure spending to support their shaky economy. Now, commodity and energy markets rebounding today as the Chinese government stimulus story likely helping boost commodities overnight along with the um, easing tensions on Wall Street. The Federal Reserve meeting minutes released yesterday indicate the Fed focused on taming 40-year high inflation during their June meeting. They plan to increase interest rates to reach levels high enough to slow U.S. economic growth. Meantime, over in cattle and hogs, we see mixed to higher action here so far today as the trade may be taking a bit of a pause with grains moving to the upside. Looking at a few market numbers, September corn up 18, 617 to three quarters. August beans up 44, three quarters, 1491 at a quarter. September Chicago wheat up 32 at a quarter, 836 at three quarters. September KC wheat up 25, 876 at a half. September spring wheat up 29 at three quarters, 916. July hogs up 17, 113, 32. August live cattle up 12, 134, 62. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, hello, folks, and thanks for tuning in to AOA Today. You know, earlier this week, in fact, on Tuesday, we spoke with Professor Glenn Totzer of Kansas State University about his meat demand monitor. He was analyzing how consumers were approaching the meat case specifically as they were looking at pork and beef and alternate proteins. And what he found was that those higher price cuts of meat were starting to fall out of favor. Consumers were making the choice for other lower price cuts of meat there in the meat case. And that got me wondering, are they reaching down to the chicken section of the meat case? Well, Christine McCracken, the senior animal protein analyst at Rabobank, was wondering that very same thing and just compiled a report looking at the global health of the poultry market. She joins us today to discuss it. Christine, thanks for joining us here on AOA. Yeah, great to be with you. As you were putting this together, of course, inflation is top of everybody's mind. Christine, did you see chicken demand globally climbing here in this period of higher food prices for everybody? You know, it's it's surprisingly stayed very stable. Uh, we've seen big increases in a few markets uh, that have strong oil economies, uh, and, and those markets continue to grow. Here in the U.S., we've seen a pickup in in some of the lower value cuts, but but surprisingly, breast meat has stayed very very strong, um, and it it reflects just I think that overall short supply of of total animal protein. 
Well, and so, Christine, let's start here in the U.S. and get a feel for the domestic state of the industry. First and foremost, broiler prices have been incredibly strong, as you marked in your report, but it's not necessarily spilling over to an increase in supply. What's the breakdown here in the cattle market? Why aren't we seeing, or excuse me, in the poultry market? Why aren't we seeing more of a build out? You know, it's it's been a, a struggle really for these uh, broiler companies to get labor uh, into their plants. That's been a big challenge for the companies really since the pandemic started, and and that hasn't changed materially. So, part of the answer is is a function of of just not enough people to slaughter uh, a lot more chicken. So that that has been a constraint. I think the other big challenge, obviously, for producers is. Uh, these ongoing productivity issues that the industry has been trying to address for for much of the past year. It's been uh, a par- partially driven by a change in genetics that that is being addressed, but just takes months to work through. Um, and you know, really a, a function of of some of those higher costs that we talked about, really limiting profitability for some of those chicken processors. So there's there's kind of this combination of events, high costs, some productivity issues, and that lack of labor that are feeding into that. Christine, I've got a question here. As an economist, and you're looking at the poultry sector, when we talk about cattle or hog processing, of course, we can figure the margins based on the publicly available information for the packing facility. In poultry, can we do such a thing? Do you have a handle on how margins are trending for the companies in that sector? You know, there are a few publicly traded companies that actually do report their margins, and it does vary by by company. Uh, different chicken processors process different products. So, for example, some are very commodity-oriented and would maybe sell less uh, further processed products. Others are, are heavily branded um, and, and sell a, a process mix. So it is a bit of a struggle to break that down on a on a per company basis but when you look at the industry as a whole and look at kind of the composite value of those cuts and really simplify it to that mix uh, you're really looking at a pretty profitable uh, profitable outlook with this increase in breast meat prices that we've had um, that together with maybe slightly lower feed costs here I'm not sure how long that lasts um, but for now uh, chicken processors actually should be doing a little better Okay, so we should, I imagine you expect to see some more expansion in the flock coming in due time as they start to see some of those uh, increase in margin somewhere in the line. Yeah, you know, we are looking for slightly more production coming on later this year, in part to take advantage of those high beef costs. Um, I think a lot of food service operators are are looking at alternatives to find a, a viable mix of products that they can offer on the on the menu. Chicken fits that, especially in food service, but there's still a big question about what that demand is going to look like. If you think through where we are economically, a lot of that cost pressure. So I think people are, at least most of the companies that we work with are being fairly conservative in terms of total expansion, just not knowing how that consumer is going to react in, in a more inflationary environment. Okay, that makes sense. Christine, I know that exports are certainly important to the poultry industry, and there was huge exports in 2021, just like there was in in beef and in pork. But I understand Mexico kind of fell behind in their import program. What happened in Mexico that changed their uh, their poultry imports last year? You know, part of the the challenge in Mexico is always, uh, you know, the lag on the data. I would say that 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 market specifically has um, put in a few uh, export restrictions on some of the poultry imports. Uh, but really, it's a reflection of just how strong things were in the year ago period. If you think about where we are as a whole, um, you know, actually exports on a volume basis uh, continued to be fairly strong. The big issue, though, is that is a very price sensitive market. Um, and as prices have gone up here, it's obviously made it more challenging for some of those uh, importing countries like Mexico to, to continue to increase their total volume. So expect to see total sales dollars going up, uh, but volumes really struggling to gain much ground from here.
Okay. All right, Christine, before we move on to the international scene, one important domestic topic that I forgot to bring up at all, of course, is HPAI, avian influenza. Heard about that a lot in the laying sector of the industry. Has it had much of an impact on broilers? It really hasn't. It, it was uh, really concentrated in the turkey and layer industries where we saw pretty big losses. Uh, it, through the spring, um, that's cleared up uh, here in, in June and July, but uh, really not much impact at all. The, the only possible um, kind of, uh, I guess, impact from, from a total poultry perspective is, is possibly a little more demand for chicken as, as some of those other products maybe aren't as available or as those prices really uh, take off. So you've seen a big increase in, in dark meat demand uh, on on the broiler side, uh, I do think that's related to some of the tightness we've seen in the turkey markets and and uh, especially into exports. So there is kind of a follow-on impact, but really not much impact at all on the production side for broilers. Okay. All right. That's good news. Christine, looking around the globe, your report analyzed many different countries and regions and their impacts in the poultry trade. We've got a few minutes left as you survey the global uh, poultry environment. Where do you think or which countries could have the biggest impact here this next year on the poultry trade globally? Well, I do think Mexico will be an important driver, especially for U.S. Uh, US exporters. Um, and U.S. prices, um, only because that is our continues to be our largest market. Um, China, surprisingly, continues to be a robust market for chicken exports. They eat a lot of chicken feet, um, and those prices have gone, uh, they've almost tripled now in the last couple of years uh, as they've opened up that market. So that's been a very strong add for the U.S. Uh, industry here over the last couple of years. But it's really going to be, I think, a function of, of the growth in, in supplies out of countries like Brazil, uh, where they have very low cost feed uh, and continue to uh, offer a very high quality product, but at the same time uh, have a, a more favorable currency. So with the strength in the U.S. dollar, it's going to make it very difficult for U.S. exporters to, to gain a foothold in some of uh, the Latin American markets, Middle Eastern markets, uh, and Asian markets where Brazil is really uh, ha a lot more competitive than the U.S. product, at least over the near term. Um, but generally, um, not looking for for a big change uh, in in a majority of of the traditional markets. I'm glad you brought up Brazil. Back in 2020, there was a, not, a lot of conversation, I should say, about China buying or building facilities in Brazil for pork and poultry consumption to guarantee some more food security on their shores. Has that ended up happening down there in Brazil? And if so, are we starting to see more production out of that country already? You know, they have been increasing production, but it really hasn't been as a result of, of Chinese investment to, to a great degree. Um, I think that China has put uh, facilities in a number of countries to, to gain some market insight into how those operations work. Uh, but still, it's a fairly small percentage of that overall market. Where we are seeing growth, though, is is in a lot of the traditional uh, processors that, that remain uh, the big drivers there. I think that with this big crop they've had in, in South America, I think that it's, it's given them an opportunity to, to maybe add on a little production. They've been a little slower growing here lately. Um, and I do think that's going uh, to give them a lot uh, more strength going into next year in terms of, of total volumes um, as we think through where, where global demand is going to be. Well, Christine, it's a fascinating report and a good look at an industry that we really generally don't have a whole lot of public information about. For folks who are curious about the state of the poultry industry, where can they go to get some more information? You know, if you do look on the Rabobank uh, and Rabo Research website, uh, you will be able to access the report um, as, as soon as today. Fantastic, folks. Get on there. Check it out. Global Poultry Quarterly is the name of the report. We've been talking to Christine McCracken, the Senior Animal Protein Analyst at Rabobank. Christine, thanks for joining us here today. Great to be with you. Let's talk again soon. And folks, stick around. We're going to continue this protein conversation with Dennis Smith of Archer Financial Services. We're going to talk cattle and hogs when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, 
Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. Head to toe, everything's changed. Head to toe. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that's sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. We have some exciting news to share. The National Corn Growers Association, along with AOA, are kicking off an all-new program called The Monthly Grind. Tune in on Tuesday, July 12th for our big kickoff. I'll be broadcasting live from Corn Congress in Washington, D.C., and will share all of the details surrounding The Monthly Grind. Make sure to listen to AOA on Tuesday, July 12th. It's a show you don't want to miss. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. It's been said that when someone you love has Parkinson's, you have Parkinson's. The Parkinson's Foundation knows that the disease doesn't just affect the diagnosed. It affects everyone who supports and helps care for them. If you or someone you know is living with Parkinson's, a neurological disease that affects movement, we understand that it can be difficult to know where to find help. If you have questions, the Parkinson's Foundation has answers. Answers for everyone in the fight. We can help you understand the disease. Help you find expert care and local support. Give you tips for living a better life. And share the latest research. Find your answers and join us in the fight against Parkinson's. To learn more, please go to parkinson.org. 
or call 1-800-473-4636. That's 1-800-473-4636. The Parkinson's Foundation. Better Better lives together. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Earlier this week, we saw that broad commodity sell-off, crude oil, grains, everything was going down Tuesday and Wednesday of this week, except one market. Well, a couple of markets, but one of those that really held up surprisingly well was the cattle trade. We saw live, live cattle stick together pretty well. We saw lean hogs actually put some strength on. Got me wondering about the health of those two markets. Joining us today to bring us up to speed is Dennis Smith of Archer Financial Services. Dennis, thanks for joining us here today yeah hi mike how are you thank you for having me on you bet you bet always glad to talk dennis taking a look at this live cattle market over this past week it seemed to put up surprising strength against the sell-off we saw happening elsewhere what were the factors that were moving cattle this week well we've got a very confusing market situation a wholesale beef uh, is holding better than expected so it appears demand for beef, for U.S. beef, is uh, really better than expected on the backside of the 4th of July holiday. Uh, but you have a, a cash steer market in the south. It's about $10 discount to the cash steer market in the north. And that's uh, just contributing to a lot of confusion. And the futures market, quite frankly, not sure exactly how to price uh, the delivery points in the south uh, continue, to, continue to keep the August cattle uh, uh, discount to the lowest price cattle in the nation, and that's the cattle in uh, Texas and Kansas. Has there been much, much cash trade developed here yet this week, Dennis? No, we have not seen uh, uh, virtually any trade, a very light trade in the north. I'm hearing that uh, one of the major packers is paying 150 for cattle in the north right now. And uh, that's uh, obviously a very strong market uh, when you consider that uh, August futures are at 134.50. Yeah, that 150 certainly would probably, I I would think, make some producers pop their heads up and take notice. I'm guessing you don't expect the bulk of the trade to happen around 150, do you, Dennis? Well, no, the the Southern Plains will probably be uh, anywhere from uh, maybe 138 to 140. 140 would be the best case scenario. Uh, So you you just have a situation, Mike, where uh, I've done some uh, homework on this, uh, where the the placements of cattle into the northern areas, the Corn Belt, you might say, have been running light uh, all year long, and we just have a much tighter supply situation in the north than in the south, but because of trucking freight rates and the price of diesel fuel, it's just not feasible to ship cattle north for slaughter. Gotcha. That makes sense, Dennis, that high freight rates are killing everybody. One trend we've seen over the past couple of months has been a really aggressive cull cow slaughter. Is that still continuing or have the rains over a lot of the drought country kind of moderated that cull cow kill? No, that continues in force. So we we continue to see the the cows being liquidated in a, in a in a broad sense in the United States, and and of course that will come uh, uh, to roost uh, down the road in a much smaller calf crop. Indeed, it will. Dennis, looking at feeder cattle, of course, we're seeing a big rally in corn today. Feeders obviously off on the day. Where do you see the the feeder cattle market going here in the short term through the month of July into August? I expect it to go higher, and I think it'll be driven by uh, tightening supplies of animals outside the feed yards, which is probably record low right now. Uh, So you have record high animals on feed in the feedlot and probably a low to a record low numbers of animals outside the feedlot. Um, unless the corn market just gets supercharged here, I would expect feeders to work higher uh, for the remainder of the summer. 
All right. Good piece of news there for those cow-calf producers. Dennis, we've got to talk about this hog market because it has been, from my perspective, outside looking in, behaving erratically with big moves to the upside here over the last two days. What has developed in the hog trade? Uh, two items, I think, uh, developed over the long weekend, Mike, and I think that's contributing to the power, the strength that you're seeing, mostly in the October, December, uh, February hog contracts. And that's this uh, the fact that African swine fever is on the move again in Europe. Uh, it's threatening to get into France, and it's, uh, it's within about uh, 10 miles, 12 miles of, of the border with the Netherlands. So this uh, African swine fever is going to cause some major headaches uh, with the European export market. And uh, that might leave Spain as the only market in Europe that is capable of exporting uh, a significant amount of pork, and in this case, pork to China. And the other item is uh, the rapidly rising pig prices in China, and that leads me to believe that sometime this fall, the Chinese will come back into the U.S. pork market. Well, and so I was wondering if European pork is being pushed out of global exports, is American pork a substitute for that? Can we fill most of those orders that the European producers might miss due to ASF? Oh, most definitely, yes. We we would be the the, the, the market available. Uh, that would leave the major exporters, uh, Brazil, Canada, and the U.S., and uh, and we would by far take, take the lion's share of that business, I would think. With that being said, Dennis, we've got the August lean hog contract here north of 110 bucks. Do you think this is a, a, a level place where we stick around or do we start to move higher from here? <laughs> well, the, the August hogs at 111 are right at the, uh, the June highs, the highs established in early June. And Honestly, I'm not thinking that they have a significant upside follow-through from this level. So the August hogs are probably going to stall out here, whereas your sharply discounted Octis Fab uh, maybe still have upside potential. Well, that's the thing. Looking out in those deferred months, I mean, the Feb trading, well, Dennis, I apologize, wasn't watching my clock. We are out of time, folks. That was Dennis Smith of Archer Financial Services. Dennis, always appreciate your insight. Thanks for joining us today. You bet. Thank you. And folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll talk with Cam Quarles of the National Potato Council about how the SEC climate disclosure rule could impact that industry. Do be sure to tune in on Friday. We'll be back with more AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Chris Domine is a husband, father, an athlete, even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris's kidneys were failing. The doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant, you are going to die. Chris received a second chance, made possible by an organ donor. Your well-being changes from loss of hope to better times ahead. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.